On today's episode, 10 prior guests as well as Dave and I come together to celebrate 75 episodes of Teaching in Higher Ed. We look back at episodes that have had a big impact on us, take a listener question, and make some recommendations. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. This is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to increase our personal productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. It's wonderful to be bringing the person on the show with me today, Dave Stahoviak, who, if you haven't been listening for a while, I am married to. We are married, yes. Yes, and Dave has the distinction of being the person who inspired, I would even say, nudged, cajoled. Gently bumped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that probably isn't the term to use, actually. Uh, me into starting mm. this podcast. Yes. Dave has a podcast called Coaching for Leaders. And Dave, you had been doing that for years. Four and a half years now, Coaching for Leaders has been going every week. Yeah. And you really said there really wasn't a lot at the time out there about specifically teaching in higher ed. There were certainly higher ed podcasts, but there was a little bit of a gap there. And it was exciting to dive in and now to have there be more shows out there that are like this one. It's so fun to get to listen to those throughout the week. Yeah, it really is great to see that come together. And you have such a passion for this area. And it was uh, it was great to see you take that passion and uh, bring it on, bring it online and be able to make so many great connections with people, which has been so fun. And I've been enjoying so many of these episodes, too. Well, today we have 10 former guests who I invited to come and contribute to the 75th episode. And it's a way of looking back and saying which of the episodes really stood out to us as having a great impact. And then I also invited them if they wanted to, to leave a recommendation, just like at the end of every show, we leave a recommendation. So this is a Lollapalooza of recommendations and some people reflecting on what guests have really stood out to them and that they've been able to learn from. And one of the things I love about the show is that there's always something that I take away. And so much even from the business perspective, Bonnie, even though the show isn't necessarily for business people. I, I always learn something on how to teach and educate people. My two recent favorites are with Meg Yuri, hope I'm saying her name right, and yeah. uh, Nisa Ramirez. They just struck me as so smart and oh. talking about astrophysics. I just I just want to have them over for dinner and talk about all the cool things and just listen to them talk. That was just so much fun. I don't know many astrophysicists, so I have nothing to compare it to, but they seemed quite entertaining and energetic and yeah. humble, both of them very humble too. Yeah. And you can just tell, I mean, so, so many guests, I mean, virtually all the guests who've come on your show just have such an enthusiasm for what they're doing. And it's so neat to be able to get a piece of that each week of, of people's enthusiasm for teaching and for helping people learn. And so it's, it's always fun to tune in. Well, the first guest, former guest, actually, she's been on the show a couple of times. She's been on your show. We've been on her shows. So it's very confusing, <laughs> is actually our dear friend, Sandy Morrigan. And Sandy has an episode from way back number six that she wants to recommend something from here. I'm going to pass it over to Sandy. This is Sandy Morgan, professor at Vanguard University, and I'm calling to comment on teaching in higher ed podcasts. I wanted to let you know that my most 
often repeated takeaway from teaching in higher ed is the concept of waiting and giving students a chance to respond. That's the eight-second rule. I think I've shared that treasure with at least two dozen teachers who are frustrated when they don't seem to get a response um, generated in their classroom discussion. So my favorite takeaway so far and among so many in teaching in higher ed is the eight-second rule. I loved recording that episode with you, Dave. It was I kind of felt like that was when we were coming into our own voice. I started to get a little more comfortable with all the audio equipment, all the buttons I have to press behind the scenes. And we could really share something that for me really impacts my presentations even today. And I learned that little trick more than 20 years ago. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I'd highly encourage you to go back, listen to episode number six. Speaking of which, All of the links of the episodes and the recommendations that will be shared throughout this episode are going to be available at teachinginhighered.com slash 75. And I think about the eight second rule often when I facilitate, you've been a great teacher for me in that way of taking time to give people space. So thanks, Sandy, for reminding us of that. The next former guest that we are going to welcome into the show is Michelle Miller from Northern Arizona University, the author of Minds Online. And that was what she came to talk to us about on her episode. But today she wants to share an episode that had a great impact on her. Happy 75th episode, Bonnie. This is Michelle Miller from Northern Arizona University. And I wanted to let you know that thanks to your episode with Rebecca Campbell, I will never again refer to my college students as children. So best wishes. When I had Rebecca on the show, she did mention referring to them as adults and treating them as adults. And that was something that I took for granted. And I've had such interesting conversation with my students because some of them, it's it tended to be about a 60-40 split when I informally asked my students after listening to her talk on that episode. Some of them still think of themselves as children and really want to be referred to as children and treated as children, that it's a little bit too much pressure to be thinking about being an adult. And they all had different metrics or or ways of gauging whether or not they were adults. And then, of course, some of them did want to be referred to and thought of as adults. It was really interesting. Yeah, it's so funny because I remember that conversation and I don't remember her mentioning that in the conversation. I remember other things from it. And so I think that's one of the great things about hearing from all these different perspectives is that some things really stand out to you and you pull and use that. And then something else may just go right by, right yeah. over your head that you didn't miss. So yeah, um, yeah so it was, it was fun to uh, hear that uh, for the first time. Another former guest, Scott Self, also mentions Rebecca, but as you said, Dave, for some different reasons. And then listen up, because at the end of Scott's message, he has a recommendation for us. It's a bonus message. It's packed with two punches. We have a reflection on what he took away from Rebecca Campbell being on the show in episode 62, and then a recommendation. Hey there, Bonnie. This is Scott Self from theproductivenerd.org. Happy 75th anniversary. Here's hoping that there are another 75 episodes in the can. I love hearing from all your guests, but your discussion with Dr. Rebecca Campbell in episode 62 has had me really thinking about how to normalize help-seeking behavior, as she called it. She suggested that we as faculty can normalize help-seeking behavior by being transparent with our students, and we can share our own experiences with seeking help. 
Her recommendation made a huge impact on how I taught class the very next day. I want so much for my students to come in and meet with me when they need help, so I started sharing with them how I had met with professors to get assistance. And this led to a great discussion about how to get the most from services, but it also resulted in a rush of students scheduling time with me during office hours shortly after the lecture. Dr. Campbell made a huge impact on me, and by extension, she made a huge impact on my students. For a recommendation, I've become a huge fan of the Apple Mail Act-On app. It's an add-on for uh, Apple Mail. It allows the user to develop more advanced scripts for managing email and has become a really vital part of my workflow. Folks can find this extension at www.indev.ca. Keep on rocking our world, Bonnie. We appreciate you. It was so nice to hear from Scott. I so enjoyed the episode I got to record with him on Evernote and look forward to having him back on the show too. His blog is phenomenal. Every post that comes through on my RSS feed is one of those I instantly think, ah, this is exactly something that I needed that I didn't even know that I needed. I encourage people to check out his blog and thanks so much for the recommendation. I have heard many times of Mail Act on, and I probably need to just install it and start getting the benefits of it. But we've heard, I think, on a number of podcasts of that add-on if you're an Apple Mail user. So a good one to check out. Thanks, Scott, for the recommendation. Next up is former guest Josh Eiler, and I love that he's been on the show now twice, early in the recording, and then most recently on Teaching Lessons from Pixar, which I had so much fun recording with him. And he has a past episode he wants to reflect on. Hi, Barney. This is Josh Eiler, and I wanted to wish you a very happy 75th episode. This is a great milestone for a wonderful podcast. I just wanted to say that I really learned a lot from the episode with Cameron Hunt-McNabb from Southeastern University, and she really made me think a lot about how to bring more creativity to the assignments that I give my students. I've been thinking about it ever since, trying new things out in terms of the work that they do, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of benefits, so I want to thank you and her and wish you well on this, uh, on this uh, continued journey on your podcast. Thanks a lot. Cameron Hunt McNabb was all the way back on episode 24, just a bit more than 50 episodes ago. It's incredible. And in fact, she also is recommended by another former guest, and that is Janine Utel. I will go ahead and play Janine's voicemail, and then Dave, give you a chance to chime in too. This is Janine Utel, and I'm delighted to help celebrate the 75th episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. A standout for me is episode 24 with Cameron Hunt McNabb, focused on creative assignments. The major insight there was that creative and critical thinking can and should be integrated to maximize student learning, and that designing creative assignments works best when the process is evidence-driven. Check out the page for Cameron's podcast for some great tips on backwards design. Congratulations, Bonnie, and thanks to you and your guests for teaching us all. Even though it's been almost a year, I remember listening to that episode, Bonnie, and, our, and the thought I had when I listened to that episode, I teach adjunct on occasion at your university, and so I don't, I'm not always teaching, and I thought, the next time I design a class, I need to listen to this episode first, and then sit down and start thinking about what's going to happen with the syllabus and the course design. And so I would certainly recommend that if you're looking for new, innovative ways to uh, bring assignments in. And the other thing I'd mentioned too, and I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about this, Bonnie, as we're listening to these messages, I think this is probably 
the first one of the first podcasts I know of where so many people who are guests stay on as listeners. That's not something you see in a podcast so much. A lot of times podcasts have guests on and they, you know, they come and they do they do their thing and then they leave and they're on to the next thing. But so many of your guests have become listeners, talk with you regularly. I just think that's really cool the community you've built. So I was just thinking that as we were listening here of uh, how many of the guests are also learning from each other and I just love the community that's built out of this. It's meant a lot to me too. I know Bethany Usher is another guest who was on episodes back then around the same time that she was. And she talks about walking around her lake near her home as she listens to the episodes. And she's someone that I think about a lot as an audience that's a friendly audience member I can think about to help me feel a little bit less nervous, just like I'm chatting with her as she walks around her lake. I really do like that a lot of the people who have been on the show in the past stick around as a listener and they'll tweet about the show or they'll send me emails or recommendations for other guests and topics. Yeah, it's really cool. Next up, speaking of a former listener who has just been such an integral part of this podcast is James Lang. And James Lang is the author of one of the books that has really stood out to me more than almost any other that I've read about higher ed, with one exception, by the way, Ken Bain was another really standout for me book that I've read. But in Jim's case, it was the book Cheating Lessons. He's the author of that, where he did a bunch of research around that. And then he came on the show to talk about it's one of my most memorable episodes. And boy, talk about sticking in my mind. (laughs) And he also recently wrote an article for the Chronicle of Higher Ed, which I've talked about before on the show, where he shared some of his real memorable episodes. And that was such a treasure for me. I I have to keep that around as, as a source of encouragement as I go. And he phoned in and left a voicemail about another episode that has meant a lot to him. Hi, Bonnie. This is June Lang from way back on episode 19. It's been actually over a year since we recorded that episode. And it's so great to see the podcast still going strong. So happy 75th episode. The one I'd like to recommend, the one that really got me thinking recently, was episode number 70 with Amy Collier on not yetness. And I really liked the way um, that episode highlighted the notion that we don't always have to have final proof for the effectiveness of a teaching method to try something out, that we want to keep exploring and experimenting in our teaching methods to keep pushing forward the possibility that we might yet come up with something even better for our students. So that was a really inspiring episode for me and got me thinking a lot about my own teaching. So happy 75th again, and I'm looking forward to another year of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast. And Jim, thank you so much for your support of the show. And as Bonnie mentioned, I can't remember if we mentioned on this show, Bonnie, I know we mentioned on Coaching for Leaders. And when I read that article, I was thinking that was probably the best article I've ever seen written on a podcast. And I've seen a lot of articles written on podcasts over the last few years uh, being a podcaster. And so uh, thanks, Jim, for taking the time to share so much wisdom in that article. It was really neat. And many of you who listening found the show because of that article. So that was really that was really cool. He just finished writing his next book, and it's going to be out in March. And so he'll be back in the show in March of 2016. As strange as that is to say, that seems so far away, but I know it'll be here before we know it. And his book is about small teaching. And I'm so looking forward to both reading it and also having him on the show. Awesome. Speaking of people that have become 
connected with the podcast, I call this next person truly a friend. And he's become my pen pal. And we've even talked on the phone before. And he is Doug McKee from Yale. He encourages me. In fact, I've shared a couple of episodes where he has encouraged me on saying we only have to take our students the next step. We don't have to try to fix all of the developmental or educational issues that they may have. He really is just an encouragement to me and a fun person to be connected with. And this is Doug's message about the 75th episode. He's going to talk about an episode and I think even has a recommendation in here. Hi, Bonnie. This is Doug McKee from the Teach Better Podcast and happy 75th episode birthday. Uh, it's quite a milestone and I hope you're proud. You've got an amazing back catalog. So I'm calling to let you know that the two episodes that I keep kind of coming back to uh, our episode 56, Getting to Zero Inbox, and episode 64, The Weekly Review. Um, these are, have been particularly inspiring as I just try to get a handle on um, a lot of different projects and a lot of different things in those projects and trying to not let things fall through the cracks. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I got to zero inbox. Right now, I'm at three, and before I go to bed tonight, I think I'll be at zero again. It's, I tell you, it's the new normal for me and it feels great. And it's all in large part because of you and your podcasts. Now, as far as a recommendation, uh, you recently talked about personal knowledge management on the, on the podcast and mentioned that Pinboard is a terrific service for storing bookmarks and reference material. And I completely agree and I use it myself. Um, but I also use it as my read later service. So when I find something interesting and I want to not just remember it for the future in case I need it, but also uh, if I just want to quickly read it, uh, just skim it now, but read it closely later, I'll use either a bookmarklet on my browser or an extension uh, in iOS to just mark it as to be read later. Then later, I use my favorite pinboard iPhone app, which is Pinner, and read it. It looks just as good as Instapaper or Pocket or any of those others, uh, but it's all, all my stuff is in one place. And on the Mac, I use a, a service called Paperback that's actually web-based that, again, makes my, my documents look real nice, takes out a lot of the ads, and... It's it's just great, and I like um, consolidating my, my services uh, when I when I can, uh, without giving up really any any functionality. That's it for now. And again, happy birthday, Bonnie. So I've seen on Twitter all the back and forth you and Doug have had, and jumped in a couple of times, and it's just so fun to see so many people come alongside and support the show. And as he mentioned, he has a podcast as well. I haven't listened to it yet, Bonnie, but I know you have uh, your regular listener and have said you know how valuable that's been as well too. So uh, it's so fun to get connected with Doug, and I love uh, love the recommendations too. We're, we're both pinboard users and find it really helpful for cataloging things that we find online and being able to share it with others. And I use it for my own podcast and, and a lot of my writing, uh, Doug, as well, for organizing what I'm going to share and curate for my community. So it's a wonderful resource for that. I've mentioned before on the show, a couple of times a year, I teach in a doctoral program and I teach a technology and leadership course. And a lot of the people who take the course are very resistant to using technology. 
And we introduced the idea of personal knowledge management to them and technology to help them do that. And just simplifying the tools, the more I can do that, the better, because then they can stop having this mind block that says this is not something that's accessible for me. And I I love this idea. I don't know. I I wish I would have thought about it because I I know that it has read it later, but it just didn't, it didn't quite click until I heard Doug's message. As we have talked about, Dave and I, this show has connected me and him also with really some new friends, but it also has reconnected me with some old friends. And this next individual is someone that I have has led in an organization with me and unfortunately is not in the organization I am currently working at anymore, but I still stay connected with him, both with the podcast and then just with our professional endeavors. And this is Jeff Hittenberger, and he really hits on something that's been vital to me in the podcast as well. Hey, Bonnie, Jeff Hittenberger here. Congratulations on 75 episodes. Love the show and uh, learn from it every week. One thing I wanted to comment on that I really appreciate, and this applies to a number of episodes, is your vulnerability about uh, your own teaching and feeling that sometimes things don't go well and and being frank about those things and specific about those things as well. It's a great model for all of us of the fact that uh, none of us is a perfect teacher and our students certainly aren't perfect students, but that that actually can contribute to our growth mindset in the, in the sense that we're lear- on a learning journey together with our students. You model that beautifully. Appreciate everything that you're doing. Keep up the great work. Take care. Bye-bye. Jeff, it was so nice to hear from you, and especially for you to connect with something that has been both incredibly challenging for me, such that there have been times where I think, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) It's too hard. It really is hard for me. And part of it is that vulnerability. There's no way to put out the kinds of episodes that I have with just these absolutely brilliant people, incredible educators, without, quite frankly, looking less than perfect (laughs) in many of the episodes. I know that I've done that because I'm not always going to ask the the greatest of questions that I wish I might have or have the greatest of responses or necessarily hold myself back from admitting to, as you said, some of my own failures in teaching. And I just appreciate the encouragement to keep on doing it. I'm glad that I do it. Again, as I said, it's very challenging, but it also is a neat thing to really get connected with people who have that same sense of vulnerability, who care so deeply about teaching and the kind of potential impact we have on our students. And that that has just meant the world to me. And thank you for noting that, Jeff. It means a lot to me that you would identify that in your answer. You you mentioned the hard part for you. What's the hard part again? Oh, being vulnerable. It's so interesting you say that because that that strikes me as one of your natural gifts. And one of the things I've always loved about you so much is just your genuineness and your vulnerability. So it's interesting you, you say that being hard um, well, I think as the audience has grown, it becomes increasingly hard. It's oh, easy yeah. to be vulnerable. I can relate to that. <laughs> easy being vulnerable <laughs> with people that I know and people who we can all just be vulnerable together. I do treasure yeah, that in relationships, uh, but with people I've never met before all yeah, around the world. Oh, for sure. For watching sure. those numbers grow and, and places I have to look up on a map where they're located. You know how it is. Yeah. Oh, you've been a great teacher for me in that way. So it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting to see other people recognize that as well. And I think that's a, it's a wonderful talent that you bring to the show. Well, we got a listener question and I decided just to incorporate it into the 75th episode. And this is a question from Mike from Harvard. 
And I actually pre-recorded this part because I was able to bring in a former guest, Peter Newbury. So I'm going to play the recording and then Dave and I'll come and wrap up the show with some recommendations. I received this email from Mike and he has the question, thank you for putting together an amazing podcast. I've been listening for the last several weeks and have learned a lot about ways to be more productive and engaging in the classroom. I'm currently a PhD student at Harvard and hope to find a career that involves a lot of teaching about science. The podcast you did with Dr. Ramirez was amazing, by the way, as I studied materials science in undergrad and served as a TA for an intro to materials science course. Anyway, I was wondering if you had any advice for someone like me who loves teaching, but sees headlines every day about how there are more PhDs being produced per year than there are professorship positions available. Mike has two questions. How do you make yourself stand out from the crowd? Or how do you find opportunities to teach the things you love in other career paths? I'm going to be candid and admit, Mike, I felt pretty ill-equipped to answer your question, so I have invited back onto the show Peter Newbury from UCSD. Peter, thanks for coming back to attempt together to answer Mike's questions. No, it's great. Glad to be back, Bonnie. Mike, your first question is, how do you make yourself stand out in the crowd? And Peter, I know you had some thoughts for Mike on this one. Yeah, Bonnie, Mike is right that the the job market for tenure-track professorships, it's a tough job market. There are not very many positions. Uh, I know a lot of people that I work with here in UC San Diego, grad students and postdocs and others perhaps in the same situation as Mike, are saying, if teaching is really what I love to do, maybe, and in fact, I I will be happy, not as a tenure-track position at an R1 research university, but I would love to have a chance to teach at a four-year college or a liberal arts college, somewhere where I can continue to teach and, and continue to do research, but the teaching is going to be a, a significant component of what I do. So, you know, how do you, how do you land a job like that? I, I think it might help to think about the, you know, who's on the search committee? Then some college or liberal arts college has put out this call and they have a need. They need someone to come in and teach a certain number of courses. And so the number one question I think the search committee is going to ask is, if you apply for this job, what are you going to do to help our students learn? How are you going to come to my university and make my university students successful? And so then you as the job applicant, it's about tailoring your job application to fit their needs. For example, if it's a a four-year liberal arts college, you don't want to spend half your cover letter and all of your CV talking about the fantastic research you're going to do using the cyclotron and the $100,000 microscope that you're going to need. That's not what they're looking for. They're not looking for a, a biochemistry researcher who, by the way, can do some teaching. They're looking for someone to teach. So it's about customizing your application. Do your homework as the job applicant. Find out what kinds of things they teach. Find out what kind of students they have. Um, and then, and then write your application and highlight the parts of your experience that are going to solve their problems. That's how you're going to separate yourself. That's how you're going to show the search committee, too, that, that you did your homework, that this wasn't just that cover letter and CV you pulled off and just sent them without even thinking about it. I work at a vastly smaller institution than you do, Peter, and that becomes so much more important. Well, I mean, I guess you can't really quantify it. It's amazing to me, though, how few people actually do that. 
and what a difference it can make. You really can make yourself stand out from the crowd if you show that you truly do want to work at that institution and help them answer the question as they're reviewing your materials why you want to work there. And of course, if we're on the search committee, we take pride in the institution that we are representing and seeking someone in. And so that's always a good thing to have included in your materials. One other thing, Peter, I know we talked a little bit about is thinking about one's online presence. That's just becoming increasingly important for so many reasons. And we don't have to look too far in the higher education news to see where people have been successful and less than successful at considering their online presence. What would be some of the things that you would recommend to Mike and others do to make themselves stand out in the crowd as it relates to their online presence? Yeah, I think, you know, again, going back to who do, who do I want to join my faculty to be a colleague, to co-teach with me and to, and to support my department? We'd like someone who's like a little more well-rounded well who can do a number of things. And, and so you as the, as the hunting for a job, you know, show the committee and show all the committees that you can do more than just this one thing, that you have some experience uh, as a researcher. Maybe you have some publications. Uh, you should have some experience as, as a teacher with, with teaching opportunities and maybe student evaluations. You should show you've got some breadth. You, know, you should show them that you're aware that there is a whole online profile that you're building. You should have a, a digital presence that's a good model, a good representation of who you are. So perhaps you have a blog and you write about your research and maybe you have a blog and you also write about teaching. And so those are, those are places where you can not just highlight this are my results or this is how well I teach. There's a, plan for, a chance for you to, to do some more reflective things to say, this is, I, I think I'm okay at this, but this is one I want to try next. Show that you're willing to grow. A, a blog is a good place to do that. Certainly I use Twitter a, a lot. I use Twitter as my professional development. I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time, and there's a bunch of people like me and not like me on Twitter all the time. And so I'm building up uh, not just a network of people to connect to, but I, I hope to think that I'm also building up sort of a reputation about what it is I do so that when people are trying to find out about me, uh, they can go on to these places. They can go and check my blog. They can check my Twitter feed, and it'll give them a, a picture of who I am. So that means that, that your online presence, it's a picture of who you are. I mean, all the, the good things. If you have a few bad characteristics, yeah, you might not want to keep filling <laughs> up your uh, Twitter feed with those. Yeah. Um, Twitter, Twitter and a blog, it's public. This is your public persona. This is, this is who you're going to be when you're walking down the hall and you walk into the staff room with your new colleagues. That's the person you want to see online. I listened to a really interesting podcast a couple of weeks ago. It was talking about those companies that you pay tens of thousands of dollars to fix your reputation. For, and there's a story of someone who had during a international flight, their entire online reputation just blew up. And so they had connected her with this reputation fixing. And the way that they fix it isn't to try to go to delete all the bad stuff that's out there about you, but instead to fill in with the positive stuff. And that's how they're, they're able to fix people's online. So I think you can do that for yourself. I'm not saying you have some dark past to cover up, but, but we can really be filling in what positive contributions we're making, particularly in this case to teaching. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right that once you put something online, it's there. It's hard to erase it. 
Mm-hmm. So I think your goal is when someone Googles you, you want to be in charge of what comes up at the top of the list. And if that means you have to spend more time doing the positive things and the other ones will just trail off the bottom of the screen, that's what you're aiming for. Well, now Mike's question takes a turn. It's kind of the question now, what if he's not successful? He asks, how do you find opportunities to teach the things you love in other career paths? And I know you had some ideas. And actually, I think you said you know of someone who has taken their science degree and and used it in a way that was not the traditional teaching path in higher ed. Yeah, this this field of um, alternate academic positions, that's that's one field, the the Altax. Um, is for people who have decided, maybe deliberately, or it's come this way, that a, a tenure-track position and a full-time faculty position is not in the cards for them, they have all these skills, and they're powerful skills, and they have experience and skills to share, so let's find a way to use them. Um, so I, I, maybe one of the most important things is that if you don't find a tenure-track position at an R1, you are not a failure. You still have mad skills to share with the world. And so you have to find another way to do it, but there are opportunities. I, I know lots of people that have uh, PhDs who now sort of turn to journalism. For example, science communication, whether they're writing for journals or whether they're uh, radio producers or uh, working graphic arts, things like that, animation firms that need scientists to help them do their jobs. I have a colleague who has a PhD in some kind of biology, and he now works at a pharmaceutical. And his job is to train the sales staff and to teach the sales staff about the breakthroughs that their company is making so that the salespeople can go out and, and sell from a, from a place of understanding what the company does. So there's lots of opportunities to take the skills that make you a good teacher. That is understanding your audience, uh, aiming the content at a level the audience can understand, engaging the audience, keeping them, uh, giving the audience practices to stop and think and give you some feedback. All of these skills that make a good teacher, those are also really important skills elsewhere in marketing, in, uh, in the lab, as a communicator, as a scientist, as a journalist. So developing skills in grad school that look like, that look like they might be to help you be a better teacher, uh, those are going to help you in all sorts of other places too. So take advantage of the opportunities to, to get some training about teaching and take opportunities to, to practice teaching wherever you can. If you can't be the instructor of record for a course, that's okay. Find other opportunities to practice, like um, substitute for your supervisor when she goes to a conference or do some outreach at a local high school or present something at the local science center. In other words, just get practice uh, working these skills as being a good communicator and a good teacher. And, and those will help you in lots of other jobs besides being a professor at the front of the classroom. Thank you so much, Peter, for coming on and answering Mike's question. Is there anything else you want to tell him before we close out his question? Maybe just reiterate that not ending up in a tenure track job is not the end of the world and, and that you have skills and knowledge and expertise to share with people. And there's lots of people out there in the world who want to learn from you. So don't consider yourself a failure if you don't get a professorship. There's, there's a lot of other options for you. That's really helpful advice. Thank you, Peter.
Thanks once again to Mike for your question. I know it really got me thinking and especially got Peter thinking and gave us another chance to get connected and to learn some more from Peter. And speaking of Peter, thanks again for joining me for the 75th episode and contributing in this special way. This is the point in the show where we do recommendations. And Dave, I know you have a recommendation for us related to podcasts. I do. I was really uh, glad to meet a new friend this year, and her name is Beth Bilo. And Beth Beth and I have talked a number of times. She's been a guest on my Coaching for Leaders show. And I've started listening to her podcast called the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. And it's a podcast aimed at people who are running businesses as entrepreneurs and uh, and also who have a preference for introversion. And she had a guest on episode 93 of her show named Kevin Cruz. And Kevin talked about the 15 secrets successful people know about time management. And it was an interesting episode to me because one of the things that he's done is gone out and interviewed some some of the very, very successful people out there and asked them about what it is they do with managing their time. And one very, very clear uh, finding that he's had come out of his research is that uh, really, really successful people do not use to-do lists and do not use task managers. They figure out what is most important as far as using their time and they block their time and they figure out how much time is good to do on this in their calendar and they fill their time that way. And that's how they plan their day and plan their weeks and plan their months. And it got me thinking that recently I've been failing pretty badly and using my task manager as far as prioritizing. And so, so I'm actually going to try that in the next couple of weeks is really stepping away from my task management system a little bit and actually planning out my time in my calendar. So I really prioritize what's most important. And I will at some point maybe report back on that. But it's a great show for anyone who has a preference for introversion or works closely or is in a relationship with someone who has a strong preference for introversion. I think you'll find that there's a lot of great uh, information there, not just for entrepreneurs, but uh, I think also for faculty too. I also have a podcast recommendation. In fact, it goes so nicely with today's episode. We are celebrating the 75th episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. And one of my new most favorite podcasts, Very Bad Wizards, also recently celebrated their 75th episode. I was first introduced to Very Bad Wizards from Doug McKee, who we spoke about earlier in the show. And I need to give a warning. Actually, I need to give two warnings. One is that you do not listen to very bad wizards with your children in the car. You do not do this, especially if you have, as we do, an almost four-year-old who loves to parrot now what he hears on the radio. So you don't want to do that. So it has some very colorful language and you get that warning from his daughter when the episodes first start out. That's why when Luke and I are driving around, I I only listen to very good wizards. Like Harry Potter actually couldn't even do that, could you? No. A little young for that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. The second warning that I have is that it's a very irreverent show. That is a hard word to say and is also something you should take into consideration before you ever listen. They have one of those things where they tend to offend just about everyone on every show that they have. I know that that's other people's gig as well. They're just very, very, very witty, but they do it in a very colorful ways, the easiest way I can say it. And their 75th episode was absolutely incredible. Not only did they have these amazing guests, the theme that they all went around is what these different philosophers and psychologists have changed their mind about in their professional careers. Some of you may have heard of Dan Airely before. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his last name. 
Ariely. Ariely. There we go. I knew I wasn't doing it right. Uh, they they invited Dan Ariely to talk about his his take about what's changed his mind in his career, and other people that you may have heard of before, such as. Sam Harris and Nina Strominger. And there's a whole bunch of people that they had on the episode. It was really intriguing. Hmm. And I don't have the same ethical beliefs or the same spiritual beliefs or a lot of the same beliefs that many of the people they have on the show. That's not why I enjoy listening. I just enjoy them talking about so many different issues in such a hysterical way, but also such a smart way. And they really are fun to listen to. I want to give a great word of thanks to all of the former guests who joined us to celebrate the 75th episode. Thanks once again, and thanks to everyone for listening. And just as always, if you'd like to comment on today's episode, you can do so at teachinginhighered.com slash 75. And if you have yet to subscribe to the weekly update, you will receive an email with all the show notes automatically in it. And included in that one email each week will be either an article on productivity or teaching. So be sure and sign up at teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. And I'm not sure it's clear that you write that article. So I do. you're the one who writes that article every week. Yeah, and, most uh, weeks, except for when I miss it. But yes, most weeks. You, you do. And they're great articles. So check it out. Yeah. And if you'd like to give feedback on the show, please do so at teachinginhighered.com slash feedback. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Ah, yes, and and thanks to Dave for being here. It was (laughs) fun. Celebrating. Hooray. 75 more. Let's go. Let's go.